is today uh, is about whether or not what we're going to witness and consider is a fair fight. It's not a fair fight. So we've been following uh, the story of the first church in Jerusalem. And uh, right from the start, after Pentecost, we've seen that the church started to grow exponentially. The apostles were filled with the Holy Spirit and, and great things were going on. There was healing going on. People were responding to the gospel of Jesus Christ. We've also seen that the early church met with opposition. And some of that opposition was external, and some of it was internal, as we saw last week. But today, we're going to take a look at the nature of some of the opposition from the outside that the early church had to face. And quite frankly, at first glance, by any metric, by any means of measuring, it didn't really appear to be a fair fight between the opposition and the early church. Kind of like this picture here. I want us to continue with the narrative in Luke, uh, that Luke gives us in Acts 6. Now Stephen, a man full of God's grace and power, performed great wonders and signs among the people. Opposition arose... However, from members of the synagogue of the freedmen, as it was called, Jews of Cyrene and Alexandria, as well as the provinces of Cilicia and Asia, who began to argue with Stephen. But they couldn't stand up against the wisdom the Spirit gave him as he spoke. And when they secretly persuaded some men to say, quote, we've heard that Stephen speaks blasphemous words against Moses and against God. So they stirred up the people and the elders of the teachers of the law. They seized Stephen and brought him before the Sanhedrin. They produced false witnesses who testified. This fellow never stopped speaking against this, this holy place and against the law. For we have heard him say this, uh, that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and change the customs of Moses handed down to us. All who were sitting in the Sanhedrin looked intently at Stephen and they saw that his face was that of the face of an angel. This morning I'm going to adopt an analogy of a heavyweight fight. You're going to have to forgive me because I'm mixing my metaphors. I'm talking about a heavyweight fight, but I'm using sumo wrestling as the, <laughs> as the picture. So in this corner, the blue corner, let's say, we have the synagogue of the freedmen. Who were these guys? Why were they such a formidable force? Synagogue. What's a synagogue? <laughs> a synagogue was simply a place of learning where the Jewish people would go and they would learn. And there were synagogues all over Palestine, all over, and, and all, a lot of concentration of synagogues was in Jerusalem. Actually, there was over 400 synagogues, I never knew that, um, in uh, Jerusalem during the time of Christ. And these synagogues had different constituencies made up with people that had sort of things in common. The synagogue of the freedmen consisted of either 
former slaves who had been exiled, taken from Israel and taken to Rome to serve as slaves in the Roman Empire, and then ultimately returned to Jerusalem, or they were related to those people that had experienced that. So the people that would attend this particular synagogue, the people that had this particular issue with Stephen were from the synagogue of freed men. What was their power? My kids used to play a game where, and I think that they were, they were little discs. I forget what those things were called, but anyways. And, and each one had a power. And sort of they, they flipped the disc and then whoever had the greater power won. Well, what was the power of the synagogue of the freedmen? They had the prevailing power of passionate partisanship. Well, that's a mouthful. But if you look at it, it says something very powerful there. The prevailing power of passionate partisanship. These guys were passionate you see, they had been denied their religion. They had been denied their freedom. They had been denied their influence. They had been made slaves. They were taken from a very faithful community to a very secular community. And when they returned to Jerusalem, they were zealots. They were passionate about the faith. They were engaged in the faith. And they heard Stephen and they said, this guy is going to mess it up if we don't do something about it. So they had a power that comes with passionate partisanship, of, of, of having a common experience and just being passionate about that because they had been denied the opportunity to exercise their faith when they were slaves. The other power that they had was the rhetorical power of partial truths. When I was in college, I had to take uh, a course in rhetorical writing, which means that you learn how to write argumentatively. You, you learn how to write in such a way that you're trying to win somebody over. And there's all kinds of strategies. It's actually... It's, you know, it like comes in a box. It's like, oh, I think I'll use this particular methodology today to try to persuade you by the way I write. These guys use the power, the rhetorical power of partial truths. Partial truths, as a people, we know more today probably than any generation before about partial truths and the power of partial truth. Because social media is reeking with partial truth. And it's reeking with partial truth for rhetorical reasons. Right? People are trying to convince us of this way of thinking or that way of thinking. And so... This is not new. It was going back to even the day of Stephen, where they were bringing partial truths 
as the argument against Stephen. They were saying Stephen is a blasphemer. Stephen is a heretic because he is saying the things that he is saying. And what they said and what they picked, they cherry-picked, were actually partially true. Let's take a look at what they were saying about Stephen and what he was saying. He says, we've heard Stephen speak blasphemous words against Moses and against God. This fellow, Stephen, never stopped speaking against this holy place, the temple, and against the law. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and change the customs Moses handed down to us. There's truth there, right? You see, Jesus came to usher in a new covenant. He did not come to blaspheme the old covenant, but he came to bring in a better covenant. And so it was a covenant of grace. It was a covenant based on faith in his sacrifice on the cross. And so Jesus was accused of the same things. Jesus said, you know, I can destroy this temple in three days it'll be raised up again. Oh, this guy wants to destroy the temple. You see the partial truth? There's some truth there, but it's twisted. The meaning, the purpose of what was being said does not match the accusation that was being made. And so Stephen, Christians, we're saying things that were a challenge to the Jewish faith, but the Jewish faith was not being blasphemed. It was being actually fulfilled through Christ. The old covenant was fulfilled in Christ. The old covenant was a relationship between God and a sinful man that was based on forgiveness in Christ Jesus. And so, it was easy to cherry-pick what Stephen was saying and then turn it into blasphemy and heresy. Because although Stephen, I'm sure, was respectful of the temple, was respectful of the law, was respectful of of the leadership. He was introducing a new covenant that Christ brought. And so, there was cherry picking. And so, you know the rhetoric of partial truth. If you are a Christian in the 21st century, you are a target for partial truth. Pick an issue. I'm not going to pick them because then you'll... There's just too many, like, we don't have time to go there. Pick an issue, all right? And if you take a stand based on the Bible, you will be called a hater. You'll be a hater. You're not a hater. As a Christian, you're not a hater. You're a lover. You love people. But... You also know that having a standard given to us by God and standing behind an absolute truth 
in a world that has no standards of absolute truth will make you an object of ridicule and a hater of people. Do you get what I'm saying here? So the people, okay, we'll get specific. So the people at Island Pregnancy Center who in love treat people who are considering an abortion present the option through scripture presenting the concept of the sanctity of life will be accused of hating women because a woman has a right to choose. Do you get it? This is how partial truth works. Our world is full of it, and as a Christian today, you are a target for partial truth accusations. You are a target. And you will be, you will, you will have what you're saying misrepresented. Your intentions will be twisted and distorted. And so, this is what Stephen had to face. All right, well, let's go to the other corner in our heavyweight fight. Stephen. There he is. Isn't he cute? <laughs> we don't know a whole lot about Stephen, but we do know that he was chosen to be a deacon within the early church because he was a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. Stephen, also it says, a man full of God's grace and power, performed many great wonders and signs among the people. So from a worldly perspective, Stephen was no threat to anyone. He was devoted to this new movement. He was not a person of influence or affluence or position. For heaven's sakes, he was Christ-like. His king was the servant of all. His king was the lamb that was slain. So in any sense in worldly terms, he is not a threat. He is not a powerhouse. But look what is said here in verse 10. Don't be misled. They could not stand up against the wisdom the Spirit gave him as he spoke. They could not stand up against the wisdom the Spirit gave him as he spoke up. His power was of a supernatural source, not from himself. And as such, he was a force to be reckoned with. I'm reminded of Paul's words in 1 Corinthians 1. Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. This is how God rolls. This is how God operates. 
God's power is made perfect in us and in our weakness. It's his perfect way. And Stephen was an example of this phenomenon. We are strongest when we are weak and humble, vulnerable, and surrender ourselves to allow the supernatural power of God to work through us. Once again, Paul says this, but we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. We're hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down, not destroyed. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may be revealed in our body. For we who are alive are always been given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that his life may also be revealed in our mortal body. So then, death is at work in us, but life is at work in you. So in this heavyweight fight, we have the partisan passion and, and the deceitful rhetoric of the freed men versus Stephen, a vessel made of clay. What was the outcome? Well, we read in Acts 7, the outcome. When the members of the Sanhedrin heard this, think of, think, of, think of this as I read these words about who's in control here. I love this. Who's in control here, okay? <laughs> when the members of the Sanhedrin heard this, they were furious and gnashed their teeth at him. They started losing it. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Look, he said, I see heaven and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. At this, they covered their ears and yelling at the top of their voices, they all rushed at him, dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. They're out of control. Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul, who was likely a member of the synagogue of the freed men. And while they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. When he said this, he fell asleep. Who won? What is the outcome? At the end of the fight, when the announcer raises the arm of the winner, Whose arm was raised? I'll let you decide. Perhaps as you do, you'll also rethink who's who in this picture. Who's the synagogue of the freedmen? And who is Stephen? All I can say is this. It wasn't even a fair fight. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for the saints that have gone before us. We know that Stephen was the first martyr, the first follower of Jesus Christ who laid down his life for the truth. And we thank you for him. But Lord, we live in a very sinful world. We live in a world where 
the forces of evil are working so hard to convince people of their truth. Lord, we belong to you. You are truth. And so, Lord, we pray that you would help us to be like Stephen. Consider even death not to be defeat, but victory in you. Help us, Lord Jesus, to be courageous and, and to take a stand when it is appropriate and in a loving way, like, like these saints that we, we've heard about this morning from, from, from the Center of, uh, for, for, for Pregnant Women. But we know, Lord, the ridicule that they face. We know how they can be misrepresented. But they, they love women and they love children and they love you and they want to obey you. So, Lord, help us, too, to be people who are true to you and true to the faith, just like Stephen. Help us not to be afraid of the enemy and his seemingly great power. We know, Lord Jesus, that on the cross you defeated sin, you defeated Satan, you defeated death. To my knowledge, there are no other enemies worth worrying about. You defeated them all. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. God bless you all. Have a great day. Happy Father's Day.